the Art of Leadership Network. All right, podcasters, you've got a different voice as your host today. This is Sean Morgan from The Ascent Leader, and we sort of flipped the tables. I've got Andy Wood across from me, and we're going to dive into some great topics, some wisdom from Andy, his experiences, and so much more. So Andy, welcome to your own show. Oh, it's so great <laughs> to be here with you, Sean. So it's it's uh, it's pretty cool to be able to do this, and uh, I've been a guest on other people's podcasts, but I've never been a guest on somebody's podcast and get to ask the majority of the questions. Well, the, you are the you're like the father of this podcast because of the ascent leader. So I'm the I'm the child running the show, and so you're you're a welcome guest, and it's good to have you as a host as a guest. Yeah, it's awesome. well, it's it's a great opportunity to pick your brain. And I got to do that on Leaders in Living Rooms with you as a guest. And I've heard a lot from the Echo Leadership Podcast and other podcasts where you've been on as a guest as well. Uh, so this is a great opportunity to dial that into this audience. So um, you've been a church planter twice now. I have, yeah. In Texas, in California, and now, of course, leading Saddleback, which you didn't plant. I'm pretty sure you didn't plant, is that right? I did not. I wasn't even born when the church was started. But a church with church plant culture, church plant DNA started in, yes. was it 1980? It was 1980. And yeah. there truly is a church planting culture that is embedded in Saddleback. Yeah, which is so cool. And you carve out a lot of extra bandwidth in your life to be involved and engaged with mm -hmm. church planters. I've seen that just relationally, but you do that with an organization uh, called the Strategic Launch Network as well, um, which means it's part of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a season for you. It's part of who you are. That, well, that yeah, thinking. there's something unique about church planters. I find when I get together with church planters, especially with the Strategic Launch Network, we get together once a year, some of the greatest leaders in the country, in my opinion, and I always leave that time so encouraged. I do spend the majority of the time investing, mm -hmm. but that investment when you're around people who are hungry, and there's something about church planters that they have that hunger, mm -hmm. you leave refreshed. So I, it just, for me, a lot of times it's like a good reminder for my soul. It's good for me just to be around people who are passionate about the mission. Well, let's talk about the mission of church planting and in, in your experience, like what is a successful church plant? Like you're on mission, it's the great commission or it's some blend of the great commission and the great commandment. Um, what does success look like for a church planter? How would you answer that question? Well, first of all, I would say that there's all different types of churches, all different sizes of churches. So especially like with this podcast, last thing we want to do is say, well, this type or this size or this even philosophy of church planting is the best way to go. Right. Now, I do have my own uh, experience and even my wiring or shape lends itself to a certain type or philosophy of ministry. But I would say that there's a couple metrics that I would look at, and then there, there's both qualitative and quantitative. Uh, the, the qualitative side of it would be why did a church get started? So, okay. for example, I would embed in the definition of success the reason for starting the church. And there are sometimes where people start churches for all the wrong reasons, and embedded in that there could be bitterness, there could be hostility, hmm. there could be like, I'm going to stick it to the church that didn't want to help me. So that mentality, I think it does really affect the culture of a church. Uh, I would say qualitatively also would be the focus on people who are far from God, people who don't normally go to church. 
I've never fully understood people who would start churches just to reach a bunch of people who already go to church. Like to me, that doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. Uh, I would also add um, a church that does help people grow spiritually. So, you know, that, and that's harder to measure, like a church that takes people from new or exploring faith all the way to fully committed in their faith and following mm-hmm. Jesus. But on a more quantitative side, I would say that if you look at a church plant, we talked about this in the last episode with Steve Stroop, that you want to look not so much at your week to week or even month to month, but you want to go year over year. And you want to say, okay, is this a church that is growing? Now, there's a, a quote that says, you know, all healthy things grow, mm-hmm. which is true um, in their infancy. It's true technically, but I think in a lot of ways, you know, an older church, sometimes maybe it is a part of the life cycle of the organization. But a church plant should grow, like a baby should grow, a new child should grow. So I would say growth year over year Mm -hmm. is the church moving in the right direction. And there are all kinds of factors like, are they in a transient area? Is that, you know, college church plan or college students? A lot of that will affect the growth of the church. But I I would want to see a church growing year over year. That could be 10 people. That could be 50. That could be 100. That could be 500, but it's growing. And then... So when you say growth, though, what are you looking at that tells you the church is growing? Well, I'm, numerically would be, you know, number of people that are attending the services would be one okay. important thing. Yeah. I would also look at groups. So are people engaged in community and year over year is that number growing? And then the other number that is super important is the number of people getting baptized. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of things you could do to fudge baptisms and force people and you know, leverage emotion and all that. But at the end of the end of the day, that's really hard to fabricate for a really long period of time. And in a church plant, if a church plant is not baptizing like one tenth of the number of people that are coming to the church, there's probably something that's that that should give some like maybe yellow lights going off or some kind of warning signal. Like something's not right. If we're only reaching believers and we're hardly baptizing anybody, then we should pay attention to that. What are the symptoms if a church planter says, hey, we're not there, we're not at the 10% mark, we got 80 people showing up and we haven't baptized eight people in the last year on average, or maybe the average yeah. of over a couple of years. What are the symptoms that got them there? What are the things that got them there? What are they taking their eyes off of that they maybe need to circle back to? I would say the easiest test would be, is my church the kind of church I want to bring my friends who don't know Jesus to. And we, we've talked about that some in these episodes, but at the end of the day, if a church planter doesn't feel great about bringing their friends yeah. who don't know Jesus to church, that the church is not going to reach people who don't know Jesus. Uh, the second, that's a very strong statement. It's going to reach very few people who don't know Jesus. Sure. The, the second would be, does that church planter have any relationships with people who are far from God? Mm-hmm. So where where is the place where you're going, whether it's like, CrossFit or your neighbors or, you know, the, the gym or some social activity that you're involved in, your kids' sports teams. But there has to be some domain. Now, I would say when you first start the church plant, uh, there is an aspect in both the churches that we started where all I did for a period of time was just go out and meet people, like literally go door to door. When I was, when we started our first church for college students, I went door to door for like, weeks on end, probably met five or 600 people that way. When we started Echo in the Bay Area, did the exact same thing. We would, Tuesday and Thursday nights, we'd go out, we'd knock on doors, invite people to cookouts. 
and we're just trying to meet as many people as possible. Yep. It's like when you start a church, uh, you really don't have a whole lot else to do. You should, you sh- that's what you should be doing as a church planter. Now that is preemptive. A lot of church planters don't raise enough money. They don't put together a team. They don't have a good strategy. Mm-hmm. So then when they go to start the church, they can't do evangelism because they've got all these other things that they should have done before they went to start the church. Right. So that's a whole nother conversation. But at the end of the day, the thing that I'm trying to like carve out and get to is, one, do I have a church that people who are far from God want to come to? And I use a 3H uh, okay. concept. I don't know. Yeah, let's hit so it. the first one, is it hopeful? And like we've all been to experiences with churches where they weren't hopeful. You know, they... They make good news, bad news. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want people who are believers and unbelievers to come and feel like, man, there's possibility for my life to be different. So I want to give people hope. I want to be helpful. And that means that something practical that they can put into place with their life. And these two H's I got from a friend of mine, Aaron Brockett. He uses these quite a bit. And then who's also a friend of yours. Um, and then the third H that I added to it is hospitable. Okay. And the environment of do do they want me here? Mm-hmm. Like when I go to a person's house, you can feel, oh, this person, like our neighbors invited us over for a meal and we hung out. You could tell like they wanted us at their house. They invited us over. We're new to the neighborhood. Churches are like that. And it it blows my mind how still there could be churches that you go to the church and you walk from the parking lot to the seat Nobody greets you. Nobody says hi. And this this character trait, I think this is why in the list of character traits for the for elders, this is one of the most important character traits, that they're hospitable. Mm-hmm. So they're the kind of person that they open their home, one, but they they give off that aura of like, oh, we're, we're so thrilled that you're here. If you have services that are hopeful, that are helpful and hospitable, I think that it's going to be hard for you to not grow. Like mm-hmm. that's it, my, from my experience. Now there are lids, things that stand in the way of growth. You get out of space. You don't have enough parking. You, you're in a bad building. All those kind of things can play into it. But at the end of the day, you can create a hospitable environment uh, in a clubhouse. You can create that in a school. You can. I mean, there's so many different ways you can make something hospitable. So I just look at, do we have those three things functioning and do lost people want to come and experience what we're doing? So I got two things I want to follow up on. You talked about elders. I want to talk a little bit about how does a church leader surround themselves? And maybe they're not former elders, but people that can help them be on mission and think from a leadership perspective. Um, they don't have to be formal elders, but maybe maybe they will be in the future because every everybody needs to have sort of a pipeline of people who can speak into their lives, both now and in the future. How does a church planter pre-plant or during a plant help find those people that embody that the three H's that you just mm-hmm. mentioned? It's a good question. Well, I, I'm of the belief that in terms of like learning, you can learn from anybody. You can learn from somebody who's foolish and doesn't have wisdom. You can learn from wise people. So when I think about who are the people that I would want to surround myself with? There's a whole governance question, but then there's just a council question. Yeah. And I think as the church goes on, you have to be super careful on the front end because you don't want to set up a structure that makes it so that as a church planter, you can't lead the church. Mm-hmm. So that just takes time 
to evolve and to shape it. But I want to be surrounded by people, one, who are people of big faith. So I, I don't want to put anybody on an elder or a wisdom council that they don't have faith that God can do big things. And for me, that that could play out in how they've done business, that could play out in ministry. But if I'm around somebody that it is good to have people that are, that they're cautious is not a great word, but they're more calculated. They think through things at a deeper level because a lot of church planters a lot of times are not like that. Right. But you still meet people that are maybe more operationally inclined, but they're big faith kind of people. Mm-hmm. And so I want to I want to be around people who are big faith. Um, I also want to be around people that believe in what God put in me. So a church planter, like I believe in the call and they don't feel like, oh, their whole reason to be here is to protect you from yourself. Mm-hmm. Like they're actually here to help you fulfill the vision that God's put in your heart. And maybe they are there to protect you, but it's it's to protect you from things that could destroy your life, destroy your ministry, but they're not there to protect you from yourself. Uh, and then I would say there are some people that are wonderful people, but when it comes to being in some kind of wisdom council or governance type role, as soon as they get in those rooms, they become a different person. Mm. And we've all experienced that. Like, so church planters like need, a power hungry thing. Yeah, and they, maybe they just feel like, oh well, I got it because I'm on because I'm in this role in this council role or advisory role. Now I have to shift my style and yeah. be somebody that I'm. You know, okay, I got to perform. I got to yeah. So it, it could be a power hungry thing, but it could just be like a mis misunderstanding of the role. Hmm. So no, all that to say, like I I want people to hold me accountable and ask me hard questions. And, you know, that includes things like my character, stuff, pursuing Jesus. But there are certain, like, there are preemptive things that are health metrics in a leader's life that usually before that leader has some moral failing that those things go out before they hit that point. Mm -hmm. So I would much rather people be, the people in my life be proactive rather than, like, all the way down to trying to, like, well you know, you're, are you looking at porn this week? Are you doing da, 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 da? You know, not that those questions aren't bad, but if these other things are in place in my life, then the likelihood of having a moral failing is so much smaller. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense here. Yeah, I think so. So you're just talking about proactive in terms of working on you. Like, how's your walk with Jesus? Yeah. I, like, I give questions. <laughs> like, tell me, tell me, you know, tell me like, if you were to sit down with me for a cup of coffee and you wanted right. to really pry into how are you doing spiritually as a leader? You'd ask me questions like, hey, tell me tell me about your relationship with God. Like, mm-hmm. what, what's your time with God been like? Have you been connecting with him? What are some things that God's asked you to do recently? Um, is there anything he's asked you to do that you're not doing? Tell me about, you know, the, tell me about your relationship with your wife. How are you guys doing in your marriage? Um, what are some areas that are concerning for you right now when you think about your own life? Um, what can I be praying for you about? Um, if the enemy were to take you out, what would be the area that he would take you out? Like those questions are much more, um, I just, I, I know church planters, to be honest, my experience has not been like that. I've, I've had yeah. so many great men and women in my life that have been so wonderful, asked hard questions, but also been supportive of the vision. But I know church planters that in the, in the name of I'm going to be accountable 
put themselves in a situation where they are accountable, but they're not, they're not free to lead. Mm. And I have this kind of ladder that I draw sometimes with accountability, responsibility, and authority. And anytime you get out of whack, you want authority, responsibility, and accountability to be equal. So if I'm like, if I'm fully responsible for an organization, I should have the authority to lead, yep. but I'm also accountable for that role. Yeah. And so the the higher up, maybe the the less micromanaging you're doing on a person's leadership, but they're still accountable for, for that. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, that was a total tangent. It was a tangent. So I'm going to bring us back to a church planning thought that I had when we were talking. And just so your listeners who are, are church planters and people who are um, involved in church plant. I grew up in a church plant, um, planted actually in 1979, right about the time Saddleback was planted. And that church is, is a great church, still in existence in Colorado. And then I was involved in a church plant in Northern California where I eventually came on staff. So I'm not just a poser, um, I promise. But here's a thought is that you launch and all of this is so clear and so passionate to you and you begin to get traction with people who catch the vision and they they sense what's in you. Um, and so as you reach and grow and do ministry, you need to delegate things, right? And mm-hmm. so I always joke with pastors like, hey, you know, when you're a church planner, who's your, uh, this person or that person? Who's your children's pastor? Who's your discipleship pastor? And it's, the answer is whoever will say yes often, right? Whoever's there. But the com- the conversation or question is really about delegation. So as you delegate, in particular, I want to talk about hospitality because that was something that you talked about that I think is very important for people to feel um, that you thought about them before they got there. Mm-hmm. And, I've seen hospitality just in in um, in my church leadership days get delegated and then sort of drop off the mm-hmm. deep end. And it goes from, hey, you know, guests are coming over for brunch to my next door neighbors coming over for lunch. And those are different levels of hospitality, cleaning the house, preparing, those types of things. Um, how do you delegate when you see decay, mm. especially with some of those things, like really important critical things like hospitality? So- can I just ask for a little clarification? Sure. So yeah. when you say, how do you delegate when you see decay? Do you mean like if I look at something and it's decaying, what do you do at that point? Or how do you? Yeah, I, let me re-ask it. So when you've delegated mm-hmm. with high hopes and then seen decay, like, oh, we lowered the bar in that area. We're not hitting the mark. How do you, as a leader get involved, but continue to delegate to where you don't have to have your hands on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first question I, I want to know is, is the person, first of all, passionate about the thing that I've asked them to do? Mm. And then the second, are they shaped to do or wired to do the thing that we've asked them to do? That would usually be my first go-to. Okay. Because I think if somebody, people are going to be they're going to soar a lot more if they're in a lane that God has designed them to be in. I I always want to look at that first. But if I, let's say I delegate something, of course, I'm going to address this as a church planter, not as where I am now in my role. Because the way I would handle it with three people on a team with a couple hundred is way different than now. But I I would first want to go back to one, have my expectations been made clear? 
or have our expectations been made clear? Like what we're asking them to do. That's great. So I always want to like redefine, okay, hey, maybe I want to start with me. Mm-hmm. Perhaps maybe I haven't been clear with what we are expecting with this role or this assignment. So I, I always do, I'm like a one pager nerd. Like I want to have a one pager. Okay, here's here's the list of expectations for this area. Mm-hmm. And it could be, it could start philosophically or even just in terms of environment or culture, but then getting into specifics. And then from there, I would also say, okay, if I'm looking at something that is happening, first of all, I want to see a pattern. Like I want to say, okay, is this a pattern that needs to be addressed? Is this an instance or a pattern? Mm -hmm. And when there's a pattern, then I'm like, okay, well, it needs to be addressed. And I want to have a conversation. I would always address first with care, then, then, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to come with control. I'm trying to come with care over control. Okay. So I want to be like, okay, well, hey, you know, I, I'm so grateful. You know, like I'm just give an example. Like if I'm gonna have a conversation, this person's over. Let's say all of hospitality. I'm so grateful. Like I know you, you're showing up here every single week, mm-hmm. and you're getting here early, and like I, I just love your attitude, and I'm grateful for all the different things that you're doing. I know that you care about this area, and I know that we both want to make it great. Uh, and I'd like to just kind of start with you, you know, let, let's talk through what you've understood f- from me. Like, what are the expectations or, you know, uh, hopes for this area? And then just make sure, okay, this is clear. Da, 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 da. And then I might leverage some of that and say, okay, that's great. But here's a couple other things that I'd like to add to that. Like these are three or four things, you know, expect we want to be before the service starts. We don't actually want to be doing setup when people get here. So we want 20 minutes of margin before people get. And I just kind of lay those out. And then I, depending on the person, right, mm-hmm. I might say, um, and it's, it's even hard for me to say these things now because now I, I would never say this to a volunteer at this point. But like in a church planting days, I would say, all right, well, what I'm seeing is da, 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 da. You know, I'm noticing we're, you know, it's like nine o'clock service is starting and we're still scrambling and our guests are, I'm, I'm noticing what I would prefer and then I would line out, okay, this is what I would prefer to see. Yeah. Now, I really want to help you. Are there any like resources or, you know, are there any challenges that you're having that I could help with? And mm-hmm. and then let them kind of talk through it and then let them unpack, okay, this is what is happening. So I would do it much more relational, kind of talking through it, and then making sure that that person understands expectations. Yeah, so it's expectations and equipping, right? Yeah. So expectations and equipping, and ultimately expectations have to be received and understood, right? Mm-hmm. If they're not clear enough, they're not received, they're not understood, then you know you've got sort of a a goal in mind that's going to get missed every time. So that's good. We we talked a little bit earlier about these three ideas of character, passion, and shape. Mm-hmm. You hit a little bit on shape. What does that mean in terms of a church planter's character, a church planter's passion to plant and shape? So we let's shift off of your team that you're building and entrusting with leadership and go back to the planter. What are those three, those big three mean to you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, Let's start with character. I do think a lot of times character is permission to play. So even now, like when I interview somebody or I'm thinking about somebody for a role, yeah, I will I will actually start with wiring before character and not because character is less important than wiring. Hmm. But I, I don't even want to get into character 
with somebody if they're not a fit for a role. And part of it is just because like, oh, well, if this person is not a fit, I don't, I don't really want to ask them about, you don't want to go do down you that have road. a porn addiction, you know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to go down that road. What, okay. Is that, if, does that make sense? Yep. So I would start with wiring, but I'm going to, I'm going to go character first because it's the most important. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, on character, one of the most important character traits in a church planter is teachability or humility, the combo of teachability and humility. And it's the realization, like, I don't have all the answers. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm curious. I'm hungry. That learner. So when I get together with a church planter and they want to talk the whole time, they don't have any questions. It's a big red flag to me. Hmm. The second one would be work ethic. And so I think that there are a lot of people that start organizations or maybe get into ministry and they don't realize how hard of you work your butt off. You know, you there, there's just no easy way around. You've got to be tenacious as a mm-hmm. church planter. Like you're, you're going to lose sleep at night. You're, you'll probably have a season when you start the church where you're getting four five, six hours of sleep. You don't want to live there forever, but you got to, I don't, and I don't know anybody who's been used greatly by God that wasn't a really hard worker. So that, to me, I'd add that to that. There's like an emptying yourself out. It doesn't have to be the entire thing, but there's going to be seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And you go in rhythms and you have to have breaks and all that. But at the end of the day, like you got to be a hard worker. Okay. So does that fall under character or is that, are we shifting to passion or are we adding to the list? I would put, I'd put hard work on character. Okay. I put it in there. Okay. Um, I would say integrity in the sense of like, this is a trustworthy person. So can I, can I trust them and is their life integrated? So are they the same person at home at, mm-hmm. you know, at church, at staff and the concept that's super helpful, two concepts that are super helpful for me, even as I'm evaluating integrity is 360. Like, are they the same person with, you know, some people are, you know, they kiss up and pee down yeah. for that. Yeah. And some people are like a thorn where they're, they're like, they're great with everybody around them, but they're to their supervisor or their yep. boss, they're yep. a thorn. And I want to be, I want to look at 360 and then I want to look at the wake. So what follows behind a person in terms of relationships and responsibilities. Mm, that's and really good. do, and this is a, another Henry Cloud kind of concept, but do they have a strain of broken relationships behind them? Mm-hmm. Or are they the kind of person like, oh, they've got a bunch of friends from that season of life and they got a bunch of friends from that season of life. A church planter should be the kind of person that has a lot of people f- that they have friends from every season of their life. Yeah, And if they don't, that's like, uh, there was something there that kind of contributed to that. And to me, those are all a part of the package. There's a lot more, but that's kind of the... So that's part of the character package. And it sounds like, I think, who knows who said this, but the best way to tell future performance is to look at past performance, right? And that's what I'm hearing from you is look and see, do you see these qualities that are highly necessary to be ingrained in the the leader, especially in the season of a church plant? Do you see them already in the past? Don't expect that this one event of planting a church is going to change all that for you. Yeah. You're looking for the pattern of behavior in their past. 
with that would come the whole issue of competency. Okay. And so what, what are they good at? I personally would be concerned about planting a church with somebody or investing in somebody who's never started anything. Okay. And so purely, truly entrepreneurial people are, they're starting stuff when they're 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I don't like even, I don't mean this to be boastful. I just like, I'm, I am a church planter. Mm-hmm. I'm wired by God. Even like 14 years into Echo, when you're at a conference and they're like, okay, church planters, raise your hand. Like I still raise my hand and it's just, it's in me. The, when I was 15, 16 years old, I started Bible studies at school. You know, I'm, I planned an event in high school for kids that, you know, like a little over a hundred kids in my high school came in the cafeteria. Same thing in college. Philippe, our exec, the executive pastor, now uh, lead pastor at Echo. Uh, he, he and I started in college. We started a Bible study. We had like, you know, 50 kids in a dorm room. We started student ministry. So by the time I was 21 and then I was assessed to be a church planter, mm-hmm. I had about five or six things that I had already started. Yeah. And it and nobody had to say, oh, go start this. It was just like, it's just in me. I, I can't, I can't so, help myself. So this is some of your, is this, are you speaking more to passion or shape the wiring? Uh, well, I think it's, a, I think it in the sense of, so you could be a church planter or you could be an entrepreneur and the gene is similar. And I think that's shape. Mm-hmm. Um, well, shape is, you know, if you take the pure acronym shape, but that's, it really is a wiring issue. Like, do I have the natural wiring to not be uncomfortable in the unknown? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know where the money's going to come from. Where are the people going to come from? I don't know where the people are going to come from. Mm-hmm. You don't, you like, it just, uh, for whatever reason, the difficulty, and it's a little bit, church planters, that's why they're crazy. They're a little bit like, I don't know. But it'll work out and I'll work ahead and I'll try to figure it out. But it's like that, that gene is a little, there's just a couple screws that are loose up there. Yeah. But there, that's also the wiring that you can drop somebody somewhere. There's nothing. And then two years later or three years later, there's a church with a few hundred people. And it's almost like passion then is just the igniter of that. You know, you're talking about like, how do you get flame? Well, you have fuel, you have oxygen and you have heat mm-hmm. and you get flame. And so it's almost like passion then is that last ingredient. So you've got the basic making and character and wiring and shape of um, risk-taking and futuristic, seeing right clearly what doesn't exist but still being able to see it clearly so is is passion the final ingredient of of what pushes you into i can't sleep at night until mm-hmm. i go after this yeah yeah i think you i think as a church planter you need a couple stories that like grip you that are almost to the point of obsession okay and so, for example, I had good friends in high school that didn't know Jesus, and it really bothered me when I thought about all my friends who didn't know Jesus and the thought of eternity apart from him. And that thought drove me. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, in high school, sitting in a church service in a really liturgical, kind of almost dead church, I'm like... There, 
there's all this money, there are all these resources. And it just, if there was something inside of me, it's like, it just shouldn't be like this. It should be different. Yeah. It's not relevant in those guys' lives. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I can't, I can't bring my friends to church. And then I, I had this whole list of guys. So I, I I was actually, Rick Warren and I were um, talking about this yesterday. And it was funny because we were talking, we were actually talking about church planting. Mm -hmm. And so I was having conversations with other pastors and talking about even here at Saddleback. And um, I was like, well, maybe as I talked to some other senior leaders in transitions, I'm like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going too fast. Like maybe I'm too aggressive and the speed at which, and so I was actually kind of bouncing that off of Rick. I was like, well, is, am I going too fast? And Rick was like, Andy, you're a church planter. I'm a church planter. We're, we're both church planters. Saddleback is a church planting culture. Mm. And if you weren't, moving fast, it would be off for the culture of Saddleback. And then he told me, he said, I'm going to take you over to my library sometime. He says, I've got this Bible. And this is one of the differences between me and Pastor Rick is that he's a good, um, he keeps really good records of things. Like he, so he has this Bible and he says, I've got in my Bible, Mm -hmm. a list of about like 20 names of people I'd pray for in high school. And he said, when they would come to faith, I would put like a little star next to their name and I would pray for them every single day. And I, when I was in high school, I had that, I had a legal pad next to my bed and it, it was set. I had this like white, almost like Ikea style bed. And above me was this little kind of shelf. And I would write down the names of people that didn't know Jesus. And I, I literally can remember in high school, like being on my knees next to my bed and praying God somehow save these friends of mine. Mm. And that vision just has, it literally has gripped me my whole life. I, I cannot, I, I, can, you, I would be willing to start from scratch again with no resources to be in an environment where I can reach people who are from, far from God. It just, none of the other stuff, the money, the buildings, the staff, like if I had to choose all that, to be an environment where I just had to cater to Christians versus from scratch. And that's what makes a church planter a church planter. It's like, I don't, I don't care about having all that stuff. I care about reaching people who are far from God. And then all that other stuff follows in the wake of the vision. Absolutely. I, I love it because um, I've had these discussions with churches and I've spent 80% of my time and energy the last seven years on leadership transitions, taking existing churches and helping a new leader thrive in that environment. And um, I've had a few conversations with churches where I've said, uh, I think this is, this is a side note, I think it's theologically sound, but um, I've said, God doesn't need your church and he doesn't need you. Um, look at look at the churches in over history. How many of them are still around? Like God will do a new thing and he can do it in this church if you're willing to take risks and think this way, or you guys can focus on the things that are comfortable for you, which I really do believe comfort is a four-letter word in church. Mm -hmm. And he'll raise up others who will come in and and do that very thing. It's a little bit like Mordecai said to Esther. Um, And, you know, like, don't think that you will be spared. Like God will raise up somebody else. And so it's that opportunity to be, taking risks and be on mission. And at the end of the day, that's the first love of every church. Every mm-hmm. church was a church plant yeah. somewhere, yeah, somewhere in its history. Yeah. 
So, okay, let me go back. We talked a lot about uh, the shape and wiring um, and the character of a planter. We've talked a little bit about teams and some essential elements for teams. We started talking about some statistics around um, if you have a healthy church, you've got signs of growth. Mm -hmm. And one of the things certainly early on is a a 10% marker. You're seeing about 10% or more in baptisms within your church. So I want to take what we just talked about of the heart and shape and wiring and passion of a church planner and go back to that. If you're in a church plant and you're not seeing that 10% mark, have you as a planter lost your first love of that heart and that wiring to be risk-taking for the sake of the gospel, that list of names have you lost that or have you maybe have an inability of plugging that out of yourself and into your church? Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's go back to that statistic and say, hey, if you're not there, is that potentially at the source in your opinion? Or what else are you seeing that is maybe a marker of successful versus unsuccessful on that 10% mm-hmm. baptisms number? Yeah. I think that there's two factors at play, right? So one is your one is your heart mm-hmm. and is your heart in the right spot. Okay. And then the other would be your hands, like your giftedness. And so is your and maybe I could throw in a third with your head in your philosophy of ministry. So are you doing church in a way that like that's the whole and this is a conviction question. Do I at my core believe that church should be done in a way that's accessible to people who are far from God. So if I have the passion for it, but my model or my method or my approach doesn't match my passion, so I could be really passionate, but then still have an environment that's not conducive. So I would I would evaluate all of that. But another very key component is the spiritual gift of leadership. So if I look up I mean, this is all Maxwell stuff, but if I look up and nobody's following me, I'm not a leader. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get people who are very passionate about things, but they're not able to mobilize others in that right. direction. So for example, this hopefully this doesn't sound bad. I love prayer warriors. I love people who really care about prayer. And in the last couple of years, God's really strengthened my passion around how prayer integrates with the Great Commission and all that. But it's rare to find somebody who's passionate about prayer and has that Mm -hmm. gift and also has a spiritual gift of leadership. So sometimes you get somebody who's really passionate about prayer, but they're praying. They have a hard time building a prayer ministry because they don't have that gift. I think the same is true with evangelism. You get somebody, sometimes you get people. But a lot of times evangelism and leadership can come hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really good question to ask is, evaluating, am I, am I the kind of person that's wired to lead? And there's some things that you can look at to see, am I a leader? But the biggest one is, is anybody following Mm, That's great. That's great. Okay. Andy, as we close out, is there anything we've hit on that you feel like we need to circle back to or anything connected like a rabbit trail? We should have gone down for a second and didn't that's valuable with this conversation. Well, first of all, I I do want to value any church planter that's listening to me and is not they're not in a place where it's growing. Mm-hmm. And I would say sometimes there are factors that limit growth. It could be the location that you're in. 
could be the part of town that you're in. It could be that there are not enough people in the community that you're in. So I would I would wrestle through some of those things that are external factors that could be effective, yeah. affecting your growth. Yeah. And then the thing that you have to be willing to do is change those external factors to the best of your ability. So it could be move to a new building, move to a new community, adjust something externally that you could, maybe you can't control that that's the thing that is there, but you can control where you are to be in a different place. So that that would be one. Yeah. Secondly, different models, all different types, house churches, micro churches, you know, big churches, hive churches, you know, all that. I just want to, I want to speak value into whatever kind of church somebody's called to. And last thing I want to do in my thinking, because I do have a way of doing church, mm-hmm. am I thinking to diminish a different, a different um, style of church? And then I would just say, stay faithful. So every organization hits plateaus. So every church that grows over the long haul mm-hmm. has seasons of pruning and God trimming things back. And you have to, that's where your intuition and your your alignment with God as a church planter is important because I've had times where I'm like, okay, God is doing some things to prune us, to get us ready for the next wave yes. of what he wants to do. So to embrace that pruning and then to know God, God wires us with all different limitations and different abilities and to embrace that, not be envious of another person's wiring ability, and then to not let even these conversations about, well, growth and numbers and all that, don't let that go to your ego mm-hmm. and your identity. And the more the more secure a church planter is and who God's made them to be in their own identity, the less all the all these conversations have to happen. Like mm-hmm. you you gotta talk about these things as a leader. But if the core of like who I am as a son of God is not secure, then if it's not going the way I want it to, I feel insecure. Right. But if I'm secure in my relationship with God and with confidence before him, then all these conversations are, they're just more curiosity. There's more freedom. There's more peace. So I just encourage church planters to really make sure that that part of their life is solid uh, and it'll give you a lot more liberty when it comes to the growth of the church. Yeah, that's so good. That's one of those things I think that pastors often neglect the most, right, is the things closest to you, your walk with Jesus, your family, and uh, the church. There's so much pressure and other things that the church seems to to take on. Yeah, and I one of the things that, like, your church planters go through hell. Like, they go, I mean, spiritual hell. Like, they get bombarded because you're starting new work. You're, you're taking territory. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day— if you are confident that you're right with God and you're being obedient to Him and you're right with your family, yeah. you can go through a whole lot of crap. Absolutely, and be fine. Absolutely, and that's I think that that's the the key thing to keep coming back to. Am I am I obedient to the voice of God for my life and for our church? So good. Everybody, thank you for listening to The Unfair Advantage, where at least on this episode, your host, Andy Wood, is your guest. And uh, that was awesome for me to step in and, and be the guest host. And I do want to point you, uh, first of all, if this resource has been value valuable to you, like, subscribe, post on social, point other planters in this direction. And then secondly, at The Ascent Leader, theascentleader.org is our website. And we have cohorts launching every few months that are peer-to-peer groups 
with church planters. And if there's one thing leaders need, it's allies and confidants. We provide an environment for that that most church planters, most pastors and ministry leaders don't have access to in their own world. You've got access to incredible mentors to sort of come underneath their leadership and a coach that's part of your life to help walk through the different seasons of the church plant. And all of that you can check out at theascentleader.org. Thanks for listening.